the Clemson Dubcast. It is Wednesday, November 23rd, as we record this. Just put the finishing touches on the rest of the week's work for TigerIllustrated.com. Got to get it all in before Thanksgiving Day, for sure. Plenty of good stuff coming at TigerIllustrated.com in advance of this rivalry matchup Saturday at noon. I got a feeling South Carolina's outburst against Tennessee, an incredible outburst, of course, works in Clemson's favor in the end. Just my feeling. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse and neglect, car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990-4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. Football season is grilling season, and Jack Oliver's Pool Spa and Patio is South Carolina's premier source for the big three. Weber, Traeger, and Big Green Egg Grills. Blackstone Griddles, too. I'm Jack Oliver. Grill all your tailgate favorites to perfection with a premium gas, charcoal, or pellet grill, then top it all off with something sizzling from your Blackstone griddle. For grills, griddles, patio furniture, hot tubs, and saunas, shop in store or online at Jack Oliver's Pool Spa and Patio, Forest Drive in Columbia, and jackoliverpools.com. I'm Josh Burrell, receiver and running back for the Florida State Seminoles. When I'm back home in the Midlands, I enjoy grilling and relaxing with my family, and we get everything we need from Jack Oliver's Pool Spa and Patio. Thanks, Josh. I'm Jack Oliver, and we proudly offer the Big Green Egg, Weber, and Traeger Grills, Blackstone Griddles, and beautiful patio furniture, too. We're located at 3303 Forest Drive in Columbia and online at jackoliverpools.com. And we deliver. They're good people. Go see them today. Okay, to our lengthy visit with Nolan Turner, who was in town last week. Absolutely loved this conversation, getting to know Nolan better. By the way, this was recorded last week, too, so he's referring to going to the uh, to the Miami game and getting in his first ever tailgating experience and experience in the stands. I'm sure he had a blast. Okay, here we go. Enjoy. Okay, joined by Nolan Turner, who I have I learned yesterday shares my uh, shares my love of naps. Uh, how you doing, man? <laughs> <laughs> doing great, doing great, Larry. Good to be here. Yeah, sorry for the uh, um, the missed opportunity yesterday. <laughs> dozed, dozed off on the couch a little bit. Had to reschedule. Well, first of all, it's your off week, and you have a hard job, and you deserve every uh, every minute of relaxation. But second of all, I just got to ask: Are you, a, do you is napping a regular thing for you? You know that yesterday. Um, was the first nap I've taken, I think, since, since the spring. Um, so it was, uh, it was good to 
to kind of regroup there. All right. So you're back in Clemson. Um, and actually you were at the press conference, uh, Dabo's press conference on Tuesday. And I couldn't figure out when Dabo said that you have an interest in, in, in a media career. I couldn't figure out whether that was tongue in cheek or whether you really do. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, so Tuesday I came back to Clemson, kind of went went by to see everybody, say hey, and uh, went up to his office to, you know, kind of surprise him and catch up for a minute. And um, he's like, oh, I've got this press conference at 11. Just come in there with me. I'm like, oh, no, you know, I'm, I'm good. He's like, no, just come come sit through it. So <laughs> he, he talked me into it. So I, I walked in, and, you know, those were never short with him. Um, so I don't, I don't think I knew what I was getting into. What is uh, so being able to be in there and see sort of the other side of it? Um, not that it's anything like <laughs> monumental or special or anything. I'm just curious wh- whether you wh- what your perspective was from that angle. Yeah, um, it's definitely different, you know, kind of sitting on the other side of Clemson football, kind of being an outsider, I guess, now. And, um, you know, kind of. I was thinking about some of the questions that I might have for him, you know, uh, sitting through that press conference, but, um, you know, it was cool to, to, to be there and, um, you know, kind of, that was the first time I've sat through a, a press conference. So I'm um, kind of cool to see how he, uh, went about his day and answer some of his questions. All right. What questions would you have asked if you, you said you were thinking of some of your own? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can share that on, uh, on this podcast right now. Um, no, but um, man, it's been it's been cool to watch uh, the guys play this year. You know, I've, I've had a ton of fun um, and some not so fun moments. Uh, you know, watching obviously, but um, you know, it's it's definitely different to not be a part of it anymore. I definitely miss it too. Um, so it's been good to be back. All right, so you're you're back in town for the week. Uh, I think uh, you said your mother moved to Greenville. Um, yep. your brother Cole obviously is here. Um, what's that been like for your mom? How long ago did she make the move? So, yeah, so she's been, you know, in Birmingham, you know, since she was, since I've been little and, um, she's an empty nester now with Cole here in Clemson. And, um, you know, it just kind of made sense to, you know, make the move over here closer to Clemson, not having to drive as far to the games. And, you know, it's, way more convenient for me coming back to visit as well. You know, I got a home base here in Greenville, able to come and, you know, make my way back and forth from Clemson. So uh, she made that move in the spring and, um, you know, she's been loving it, Um, you know, being here, made some friends and, um, you know, much closer to Clemson, obviously. What has the experience uh, with the Bucks been like? Just a different environment, of course. And, what are the parts of it that were that are that have been different from what you what your notion of it was as you went into it if that makes any sense yeah um you know obviously it's been you know really a, a dream come true and a blessing to you know be a part of the bucks organization and um you know kind of be in the position i am today um there's definitely it's definitely a very different game um you know it's still it's still football that's you know to the in the root of it but um, man, I think the biggest difference is just kind of creating your own structure outside of football, um, college football. You're really kind of in this bubble of, I guess, organization within the team. You know, you're always supposed to be here at this time and, you know, you got all sorts of meetings. And, um, I think in the NFL, when you're, you know, you have your kind of 
nine to five per se of being in the building. And then, um, you know, there's no school, <laughs> you know, it's weird playing football without having to manage school with it. And, um, you know, just kind of on some of your off days that you get and, um, you know, on game days, like we don't, we don't have meetings all the way up into the game on game days. You know, it's, we are sometimes sitting at home, hanging out in my apartment. Like, I'm like, God, what am I supposed to be doing? You know, I feel like I should be, you know, sitting through coach V's meeting three hours before the game, you know, hammering the tape. And, um, so it's just, uh, you know, a lot less structure and, you know, you, you gotta be a professional about it. I mean, it's your job. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd say those are probably some of the biggest differences, you know, right off the bat. It's just kind of creating your own schedule when you're not in the building. It feels like in college, everything is managed. And especially at Clemson, when they have so much structure uh, to to the benefit of, of, of everyone. Right, right. Yeah, you know, it, it's like during the season in college, I mean, it's pretty much seven days a week schedule planned. You know, you got to be here at this time, here at this time. And, you know, in the league, there's... You know, we've got our Wednesday, Thursday, Friday are kind of our big three practice meeting days. And then Saturdays have early morning meetings and then late night meetings before the game. But then you've got a lot of just time to yourself um, throughout the day. And, um, you know, which I didn't really expect. And, you know, I catch myself sitting at home, like trying to figure out what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, But, you know, I've kind of figured out a good routine for myself and, you know, a way to be a lot more productive than, um, you know, just sitting at home and, you know, trying to make the most of, you know, my day and my opportunity. I've started to wonder about like the college, um, I guess the, the, the rhythms of a college football player's year mm-hmm. and the emphasis and importance on like the winter mat drills, you know, it's this bonding and, you know, they got, that's what that whole fourth quarter video is right. about, um, uh, up on the, up on the jumbotron. And then you got the grind of, of August camp and it's just this relentless day after day after day, um, test for everybody. And that, I guess, theoretically that, you know, creates the bonding that really allows you to push through later in the season. Right. Um, is, is that in some ways, as you've seen the more business side of it, the business-like side of it in the NFL, is some of that kind of antiquated a little bit, like in that, um, you know, if you're good, you're good, and and and, and uh, I don't know. Does that make any sense to yeah. you? Yeah, 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 yeah. I know, I know what you're saying. Um, I think there are pros and cons to both. Um you know, I think at the college level, obviously, you ha- you're dealing with a, a lot of young people and you're dealing with a lot of, you know, kids who have, you know, kind of have freedom for the first time. You're in college, you're away from home. Um, so I think some of the, you know, mat drills, the mental toughness side of it, um, you know, kind of keeping them busy and on point during the spring is beneficial. Um, but I am not the biggest fan of spring ball i think i i really like how the nfl does their schedule with you know kind of the phase one otas the phase two otas work your way into um training camp and then you hit a 17 week season you know because it's a a long time to play football and um you know but on the flip side of it college when you're adding spring ball to that season and mat drills and everything it's it's really hard to um 
you know, for your body up to kind of regroup and heal as well as, you know, all the growth that's taken place of a college kid and trying to put on weight and, um, you know, get faster and all these things. So I think it's, it's really hard to manage, um, I'd say for, for the, at the college level and especially the knowledge gap, you know, trying to get guys in spring ball to, uh, learn the defense and, you know, learn the, just learning football in general. Um, but, I, I, I'm still not a huge believer in spring ball and I kind of like how the NFL does the OTAs during the summer and, um, as, as their, you know, substitute for spring ball, basically. Yeah. Um, uh, there's definitely pros and cons to both, but that's kind of my take on it. Yeah. Like, as I think of it, I'm thinking of, okay, winter conditioning, you get yourself into amazing shape, you know, six months from the season. And then in, in summer, summer workouts quote-unquote voluntary i mean you hear about oh this guy's in amazing shape and and this and that but does that really matter come as far as the physical parts of it the benefits of it like come mid-october when you're already you're on a different regimen you're eating back to a normal eating schedule and all that and so does that the benefits of being in amazing shape in july really carry through a whole season i just don't really totally understand it i guess right I think it's a good foundation. Um, you know, I think all the, the summer workouts and everything gets you prepared for the season. I think it does um, as far as as far as just having a good foundation for. It. But you can't let that be the only things you do. You know, you got to kind of you got to carry that into the season and stay on top of it. And you know, everybody's bodies are different. You know, some guys are going to need to um, you know keep up the weightlifting during the season to maintain weight or maintain strength some guys are going to have to be more of active recovery and maintenance on their bodies because you're you know when you're dealing with 18 to 22 year olds everybody's on a different basis um, you know like last year I'm a six-year senior and um, you know I was wanting to get a little stronger and you know build a little strength but you know, at the same time when you play six college football seasons you need to you know, focus on staying healthy is, you know, is, is very important because it's just such a physical and demanding game and, you know, your body is your biggest asset. So I'd say, you know, just trying to stay healthy and maintenance and active recovery throughout the season is very important, you know, rather than trying to kill yourself with strength and conditioning all the time. Do you remember how the most beaten down you were physically during your career? What point that was? Man, um, you know, I had a couple shoulder surgeries throughout college, um, but those were in the off season. So, um, you know, those were tough. I think playing, I remember that 2019 season, um, the last, like I retore my labrum in the Wake Forest game. So we were going into South Carolina and then the ACC championship against Virginia, I believe it was. And then, then we played Ohio state and LSU my, uh, that, that, that was tough. Cause I'd retorn my labrum during the season. And it was like, every time I was going to hit somebody, my shoulder was coming out of place. Oh. And that was, it's just, you know, it's just not a, it's not a spot you want to be in. Cause I'm like, I don't want to have surgery and miss the, you know, only, we only have four games left. But then at the same time, you're like, you just got it in your head. Every time you're going to hit somebody, you're like, you know, your shoulders is about to fall out of place. Um, so that wasn't fun, but, um, I, I think other than that, you know, man, going into this last year, I was like, you know, kind of like we were just talking about, I was probably in the best shape I'd ever been in. I felt like I was the fastest I'd ever been. 
probably the strongest I'd ever been. And then like day four camp, I tore my hamstring. Oh man. A grade three tear. And I'm like, Oh, it was just, you know, just such unfortunate timing and kind of a freak thing. You know, it was just, I didn't really feel any tightness or anything. It just kind of happened. And then trying to get back from that last year was tough. Ended up coming back. I missed the Georgia game, missed the second game against whoever we played. And then came back against Georgia tech. I was, I mean, I was so out of shape, you know, just from a conditioning standpoint, I mean, I'm sitting there trying to heal my hamstring and I haven't, hadn't really run, um, in however many weeks. Um, and so that was tough getting back from that. And then like a few games later, I ended up getting like a really bad turf toe kind of broke this small little sesamoid bone in my foot and the foot's all swollen dealing with turf toe. And so I'm already in bad shape, you know, <laughs> coming back from this hamstring. Then my foot has a little issues. So that was, it was, it was a pretty tough year last year, um, injury wise for me, just trying to, um, battle through those, you know, I wasn't able to practice much at all last year during the season and just kind of showing up and playing on game days. Um, so that was tough, but, you know, I was able to do it more so because of, you know, six year I've got, you know, could play both positions near the defense. So was able to be in the right place at the right time. So I was kind of able to compensate for some of the, um, you know, some of my injuries and not being able to move as well, probably. Seems um, like, go ahead. No, no, that, that, that was it. Yeah. Just probably those two years were probably tough 19. And then last year, Yeah, I was thinking, you know, this year it seems like they've incorporated a lot of yoga type flexibility things into their, yeah, pre and post practice regimen, and I think back to uh, the COVID shutdown when you guys were on your own for however long, a couple of months, maybe more, yeah. and, you, and while you're definitely getting, you know, your marching orders for what to do at home, it's like that ain't the same thing, and right. and I'm thinking, I'm curious. I know I had heard. Um, during the 20 season and maybe even beyond that some of the, I guess, speculation or conclusion was that, Hey man, you had all these guys who were on their own. And so they're not spending as much time on, on flexibility stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe some of them were just mailing that part in and maybe that played a role. I'm definitely not talking about you, but I'm just curious for your sort of the general, um, you know, uh, surface level look do you think there maybe was is is or was some legitimacy um to that and in, in 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 the 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 frequency the seemingly high frequency of those soft tissue type injuries on the team yeah definitely i think i think that's a good point you know bringing up that covid year um kind of like what i was talking about earlier with the nfl you know you're dealing with a lot of young people who have you know, who the, the country is just shut down and you're in college and you're stuck in a house with nowhere to go. I mean, if you can only imagine being in college um, with zero structure or, you know, zero responsibilities for the time being, um, it takes a different maturity level to, you know, stay on top of your body and stay in good shape and, um, you know, do the things you need to do to kind of get ready for the season. And, um, I think you definitely saw a lot of, um, and not to say that guys weren't working hard or anything, but, you know, there's just, there's just different things you don't really factor in, in some of your workouts that, you know, you're getting when you're limited to, you know, only resources around the house. And I think you saw a lot of that, 
um, in the season injury wise with, I think we saw, we saw a lot of like sports hernias, mm-hmm. um, different stuff like that. Just, um, groin type season, stuff. a lot of groins, just kind of that you're maybe a little deficiencies and guys cores and, um, just, you know, stuff like that, because you don't get that, you know, off season to really train everybody the way you're supposed to be trained. And, um, so I think you did see some more of that stuff, but at the same time, um, you know, we didn't ha- really have as much spring ball and stuff. So I think some guys might've, you know, benefited from that and, you know, maybe getting healthier or, you know, kind of working out the way their body, you know, responds the best way to working out, if that makes sense. Um, and then, you know, coming back like that, that year was probably the healthiest I'd been. I just had a shoulder surgery that, um, right before in February, right before COVID happened. And then they, the country shut down. I was like, how the heck am I supposed to rehab? Mm. But, you know, they sent me my rehab stuff and I'd kind of do it on my own and then, um, do, do some other, you know, workouts on our own at our house that, um, that we felt like we needed. And, um, and that was just a weird time, but ultimately I was the, somehow the healthiest I'd ever been that season. Um, so when you, when you dislocate your shoulder late in 2019, was there any thought in your mind to shut it down that year ahead of the postseason? No, um, <laughs> it, it had happened before, you know, that was my second one. The second time it happened yeah. right when I did it, I knew it too. You know, it was super frustrating. Um, I ended up like we were up big on Wake Forest. I think I did. I ended up not finishing the fourth quarter, and then uh, came back in. And then I went back in my shoulder brace that I hated to play in. Uh, but I knew once that happened, I was like, man, I'm never going to play without this thing again. So like, I can't afford another surgery. Um, but um, yeah, that w- that was super frustrating. But um, no, I-, I knew I was going to finish out that season. So only only had to grind through a few more weeks. So I don't. We had a lot a lot ahead of us that year. So you have spent this fall in a locker room where uh, they're professionals. Um, the players are paid. It's a business and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. We we are obviously in the very early stages of college players being paid, and you spent, I guess, only one season uh, in a college locker room under those sort of parameters. Yeah. I'm just curious. Do you have an opinion on uh, where things are headed on the college athletics, college football landscape with NIL being such a prominent part? And and we have to be honest here. We're not talking about, you know, <laughs> totally about, you know, Nolan Turner doing an ad for a burger joint. We're talking about pay for play in a lot of cases. And it ain't going, it's only going to get, more frequent. So I'm just curious what your thoughts on that, uh, that very complicated topic are. Yeah. Like you just said, it's obviously very, very complicated and, um, there's so much gray area in it, which makes it so difficult. The one issue I do have with it is, you know, obviously in the NFL, like you said, it's a business. Um, you know, you get paid to do this. If you don't do your job, you're not good enough at it. You get cut, whatever, you got to move on, find another job. The issue with NIL and college athletics is, you know, if, if teams are going to pay this high school athlete to, you know, however much money to come in and come to their program um, and they don't perform, 
like they're expected to, then what? You know, it's it's not like the NFL where you just cut the guy and get rid of him. Maybe, maybe some schools do that. I don't know. But it's like how do you um, manage what the guys are getting paid and how they're performing? Um, it's very tough because, you know, if you want to be treated like professional athletes, then they're going to treat you as such. You know, if you're not performing up to your standard or up to what your expectations, then, you know, how how is that going to be managed? I think that's the most difficult part about it because you're giving these young kids all this money and if they don't pan out, I mean, what, what do you do? Um, so I'm, I'm more of a fan of, I guess, I don't want to just say paying the guys, but, um, you know, finding a way to, you know, I guess help out or pay the guys who have, you know, maybe the older guys who have done their job and, um, who have been successful, I guess. I think it's just, it's just hard to, you know, pay these high school kids a certain amount of money to come to your school. And, um, with just so much unknown of how, you know, things are going to, uh, shake out with performance, but it's, it, it's really tough. I, I don't know if I'm the right guy to ask about or to have a th- correct opinion sure. on it, but it's, it's definitely a tough, um, a tough thing to manage right now. I don't think there is a correct opinion, honestly. I, I mean, I, yeah. I, I'm kind of all over the place. I go back and forth. Like I've heard the, the I guess the pro NIL pro pay for play people are like, well, there will be a market correction if players don't pan out. You know, like if the investments don't produce the product the desired production, then there won't right. be as much invested. But I don't know about that. Like, okay, so you have a, you have A and M. Uh, the choice examples right now are A and M and Miami. I think because those two. These are my words, not yours, but I think yeah. those two had the highest salary cap. <laughs> yeah. Last, yeah, uh, last, all, in their last recruiting class. And while it might be harder now for A&M and Miami to go out and uh, get more money for their next, uh, for their forthcoming recruiting classes, I don't think necessarily it's like a, it fits totally in the laws of supply and demand and market corrections because in college athletics, you're dealing with hope and mm-hmm. you're dealing with, I mean, people want to win more than they want to go to heaven almost. Right. I mean, it's almost like a drug. Right. And so almost the, I could actually see it as the more you struggle, the more desperate you are. And therefore the more you're going to be wanting to donors are going to be wanting to pony up more money to get the next guy, you know, the next group of five stars. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. And, and whether guys admit it or not, you know, the kids getting paid, that much money, um, you know, complacency sets in, you know, I mean, when you're getting, when you're already getting paid to, um, you know, just show up to college and, you know, start playing. I mean, you, it's just people's just natural reaction is just, you know, getting complacent. And I think you've seen some of that as well around college football. Two, two, two things. Okay. You have one, you know, player a has come from a, you know, really tough background. Um, hasn't really had a foundation of, of parenting or, you know, financial planning, whatever. And so if he gets a hundred thousand dollars in his mind, I think the average example of that, man, I'm rich, you know, I'm set. And so mm-hmm. you don't realize that money really doesn't go very far, but even like player B, uh, the guy who has been, has a good foundation at home, like Nolan Turner, whoever, 
I mean, if I go back to when I was 18, my first year of college, I didn't play sports, but if you put $100,000 in my bank account, am I going to be as willing to go to class? A hundred, yeah, you're I not mean, telling me nothing if I'm eight. My freshman year, if you gave me $100,000, <laughs> I mean, I'm the man at that point. <laughs> but then again, it's like, so a, a, an argument that I can see, it's like, okay, there's all this uproar over a recruit getting whatever, $8 million or however much the kid who went to Tennessee, the California quarterback. Yeah. And so it's like, how do the, how can these kids handle all this money? The, the good, a good counter to that is, okay, well, three years later there, <laughs> you have yeah. St. players getting a lot more money and they find right. a way to manage it. So I can see that side of it too. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Do you go ahead? No, no, no. Continue. I'm sorry. Did you think, so I had uh Jack Maddox, the former excellent uh, deep snapper um, oh, yeah. for Clemson on, on the podcast, I guess, I don't know, maybe six months ago or so. I think it was around the uh-huh. draft. Um, he said that in 21, he did see in the locker room, some sort of some elements of the, uh, of, of the, the new, this new era we're in where some guys are getting paid, some aren't. And I don't, he didn't say entitlement or anything like that. He didn't say jealousy, but he said he just felt something was there in the locker room that wasn't before. I'm just curious if you saw some, something similar or not. Yeah. Um, like you said, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say I saw any, you know, entitlement or jealousy or anything. Um, but I would say, I, I would say it's fair to say that, um, you know, you just, it's just there, you know, the other element is there. Like there's guys that are, you know, have other stuff going on, um, than, you know, the normal class in football. And then I think obviously, you know, with all the social media that, amplifies it a little more and um, makes it a little more public. Um, and, you know, I think the way our culture is shaped, I think we got a lot of good dudes and, um, you know, I think a lot of guys' egos are out the window, but um, I wouldn't say I saw as much jealousy or entitlement, but I think you, you just kind of know it's all there, if that makes sense. Yeah. So uh, I want to get your uh, recollection of, uh, and I want to compare, I guess, when the, when you first uh, did you were you an early enrollee in in sixteen? No, no, it was okay. not. In so, the summer, so you come in the summer, the first time. Okay, you're a member of the, you're you're a member of the team, and the first time you see Deshaun Watson, I want to compare that to when you're down in Tampa, and you're the first time you walk in the locker room and you see Tom Brady. Can you just give? I'd love to hear yeah. what that was like in both cases. I mean, I'd say it was somewhat similar. I think, uh, you know, coming in as a zero star kid who was just offered a scholarship because coach Sweeney knew his dad. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I was, you know, you kind of show up and, um, you know, the moments big, you know, you got these the team that just came off a national championship. I mean, I just came off a high school season where you know, I had obviously like no other scholarship offers or anything. And I'm like, you know, am I even supposed to be here kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, all these superstars in my eyes, of, you know, just these the top tier college athletes. And I'm like, man, like I'm sitting here on scout teaming as a Sean Watson. Like, you know, it was pretty eye opening. Um, I think the, the biggest difference was, you know, by the time I've gotten to the NFL six years later, um, 
I'd say it was the same kind of uh, shock lining up against Tom Brady in training camp. But, you know, I think the biggest difference is the, the confidence in myself. I think I was, you know, a lot more sure of myself than sure that I was, I'm supposed to be where I am. And, um, you know, I think, obviously, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to forget the first time we're out there in OTAs um, and, you know, we're doing our good on good stuff and I'm, getting the call, lining up, looking around. I look in the backfield and I see 12 back there. And I'm like, <laughs> holy shit, that's Tom Brady. <laughs> you know, like that, that is, um, that was weird. That was really weird. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I think the biggest thing was just, is it the confidence level? You know, I was a lot more confident in myself now than I was six years ago showing up. So you intercepted him. Was this the was reaction the same? Holy shit, I just intercepted Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Um, yeah, that was, uh, I'd say, a few days into training camp. It was the first, first full pad day of training camp. Um, you know, we're doing our team pass thing and kind of the same thing. You know, I'm running with like the third team safeties or second or third team group right then. And I, you know, I'm getting the call, lining up, looking at the backfield. I'm like, why the hell is he in here? You know, <laughs> this is supposed to be the third group. <laughs> and, uh, but no, yeah, he he, uh, he threw me one in training camp. We're in a little cover two, and I jumped. Uh, they threw a nine route to the tight end on the outside. And I think he thought he'd whole shot it and had a good break on it and made a play. And yeah, kind of the same thing. I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> I, I can't believe I didn't keep the ball. I should have ran off with the ball and threw it in my locker, but I tossed it back to one of the coaches or whatever. Oh no. Which is unfortunate. Yeah. That, I don't, I don't have that one. Um, but maybe I'll, maybe I'll get something from them eventually. So when you walk into a college football program that is built so much on camaraderie and culture and togetherness mm-hmm. is probably more natural to develop a relationship with the, the star quarterback. I'm guessing it's quite different at the NFL level, what, what is that? Is there, what is it? What is the communication like with Tom and, and what is his aura or demeanor sort of behind the scenes? Um, yeah, you know, Tom, um, Tom runs his offense, you know, he's, uh, he's not going to be the most outspoken guy amongst the team. You know, he lets the coaches coach and do their, and do their thing and lead and run their team. And, um, you know, Tom's going to, have his say in the offense. He runs some offensive meetings with the guys, does walkthroughs. And I think, you know, probably on the offensive side of the ball, you see a lot more of that rather than, you know, on, on the defense with me. Um, you know, I'd say just, you know, amongst the team, you know, small talk in the locker room or whatever, you know, it's a much smaller team than college. Everybody's kind of, you know, around everybody more. Um, but yeah, I'd say, you know, Tom does his thing with the offense and, but for as, I'd say as far as the whole team goes, you know, he's, he's obviously one of the leaders of the team and, um, you know, has the, the command and the attention of the team, but he, he definitely lets the coaches coach, um, you know, and, and do their thing. Have you spoken with him? Uh, I wouldn't say we've had any, uh, elaborate <laughs> conversations, but we, uh, you know, more so, of, Hey, what's up? Uh, small talk passing by in the hallway, uh, <laughs> kind of thing. He didn't say anything after the pick. No, uh, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't discuss that. You know, it was funny after that day, I think I was leaving the building. I just, you know, ate dinner or whatever, walking out and the hallways are empty and I see him walking down the hallway and I'm walking, you know, the opposite <laughs> way about the pass. And I was, 
I was debating on mentioning it, you know, saying something, oh, but I, I, I let it slide, just, you know, nodded and uh, continued on my way out the building. You know, I wasn't going to disrespect the goat like that. <laughs> it's like what I putting myself in your shoes is like, what do I say? It's kind of, oh man, that's a little awkward. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about telling me not like, like, gotcha, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> or giving them, you know, a little smirk or something, but uh, I'll, I'll let it slide. Do the hits feel different in the NFL? Yeah, they do. <laughs> the um, it's a it's a fast and physical game. Um, I mean, you know, I mean, like college, um, but you're just taking the best, fastest, biggest athletes, and you know putting them in the game and you've got them from all over the country or world whatever, and um and it's guys jobs to be physically dominant on the field and um it, it's definitely different the backs run hard o-linemen climb fast um and uh and getting, there's some there's some nasty dudes out there i mean it's a it's a physical game it really is just i mean watching the nfl it's similar to going from watching college basketball the nba is just the the, mm-hmm. uh, the speed and the the force uh and the strength is just wow it's it's amazing right and then you have the intelligence on top of all that yeah it, it makes it tough for sure especially these quarterbacks that have been around forever did uh playing under brent venables and learning all the stuff you had to learn with all of his exotic stuff did you think that prepared you for Absolutely. Um, sort of put you ahead of the curve. Absolutely. Um, man, Coach V demanded so much um, schematically um, from our defense. And, you know, that's why he's so good. That's why he's such a good play caller. That's why he's, you know, able to do so much and, you know, throw so many different looks at teams and um, be so multiple. And, you know, I think your ability to adapt to his scheme in college um, I mean, cause we do everything. There's nothing that we didn't do, you know, from a, um, from scheme to coverages technique. I mean, you, he hits checks every box. And so when you get to the NFL, you know, teams are different. Some teams will, you know, kind of do their thing and their thing only. Some teams are more multiple, yada, yada. In, in Tampa, we're a little more multiple, so, you know, it, it's, it was an easier transition for me because, you know, we were very multiple in college. So there wasn't, you know, there wasn't anything new to me per se schematically or a new technique I had to learn. It was just learning new terminology and then, you know, just kind of the different demands that the coaches have and, um, you know, different expectations. But I mean, you, you're not going to be more prepared than playing under a defense like V and Wes is very similar and, um, how he does things. If there's two or three bullet points for what you've seen out of Wes's scheme this year um, that are different from from Brent, what would they be? Um, I think, um, man, that's tough. I think the biggest thing, we, we did a lot of that 3-3 stack with Coach V that he liked um, coming from Iowa State. And, um, you don't see that as much. Um, and you know, that's for whatever reasons, personnel, I mean, we have such a dominant D line, you know, why would you want to do that? Um, and then, and, you know, maybe a little thin at secondary. So like you want whatever fits your personnel, you know, you want those, those guys in the game. 
when you've got as much talent at D-line as we do, it makes sense to keep them in the game. I'd say that was one of the biggest things. But, you know, V liked that because it was so – you're showing the same look every time and you can be so multiple out of it. And um, we were pretty dang good at it for the most yeah. part. I, mean, I remember that 2019 team. You know, we were very, we had, I think, a younger D-line. We were very deep in the secondary with Isaiah, Tanner, Kayvon, 8J, uh, DK. Um, we, I think, we went 13 games in a row with teams had less than 300 yards of total offense. Wow. I mean, that is insane. Mm. Just the precision in that, I mean, alone. You know, I mean, it's just, it, it's hard to not give up big plays. I mean, because everybody's got to be so precise all the time and, um, I think that year we put on a clinic of how to run that defense. Um, but I'd say that was probably the biggest one uh, is the just kind of you, you're not seeing as much of that from from West, which makes sense. But um, I think, um, you know, it's hard because I'm not in the building. I don't know all the details mm-hmm. of each game plan. Um, but that's that's probably the biggest one that stands out to me. I don't know if I can give you two or three other points off the top of my head. I haven't you know, really been able to study them as much this year. So if you do get in the media business, as Dabo wants you to do, um, <laughs> you're going to, you're going to, you're going to learn that we get stuff wrong. Um, <laughs> uh, you get crucified for it. I, oh, I know. <laughs> um, so one of the things, so last year, uh, last season, I spent myself, I spent my, I spent the season slapping myself in the face for not making a bigger deal of Amari Rogers yeah. presence just because, you know, that playmaker threat, uh, and the slot is just so important. Absolutely. And he was so good and explosive. Well, this year, I've been slapping myself in the face for not making more of the importance of James Skowski and mm-hmm. Balin Specter mm-hmm. because we are so enamored. I think everybody was so, and still is, so enamored of the upside and the, the speed and athleticism of Trenton Simpson, of Barrett Carter, of, um, of, of, of Trotter <clears throat> and others that... Oh, you just assume they're just going to be better because right. of that. But man, that institutional knowledge and knowing exactly where you're supposed to be mm-hmm. at the linebacker level, it's so important because just, you know, if you're just two inches off, you know, then it's, yeah. you're missing your gap. And I'm sure the same somewhat applies. And, and heck, I've also been, we, I think a lot of people have said, yeah, Nolan Turner, pretty important too. Um, right. Just curious for your perspective on that whole part of it. I'll just say, first of all, those three guys, Trotter, um, Barrett, and Trenton, um, I mean, those three dudes are going to be yeah. some phenomenal yeah. NFL football players, without a doubt, in my mind. Um, on the flip side, you know, you know, I, I always thought it was funny because <laughs> with James and Balin, you know, you always you hear the rhetoric like, man, I can't wait to have some <laughs> – real athletic linebackers in the game and you know slow white guys basically whatever. and i'm like I'm, I, I don't know like they're pretty damn athletic to me like i know that they might not look like it but those are some athletic hard-nosed football players and um so i never really understood that but yeah as far as the knowledge goes and, and if you get guys that can that are athletic and can play like those two and then are hardly ever wrong <laughs> it's that that's where that precision comes in and that's where the you know the the just dominant defense um that's when you start to see that dominant defense because i mean if everybody's gap sound everybody's doing their responsibility 
I mean, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> I mean, other than I'd say corner, you have to have lockdown corners and you got to have DNs that can pass rush after that, after that, I mean, you just, just fill them, fill guys in. I mean, if guys are where they're supposed to be doing the right things, you're going to have a, a heck of a defense. Um, and so, yeah, with, with them too, it's just, they're always, they always, they did so much, you know, before the snap, they're, getting the D line in the right spot, every snap, you know, making sure the front's called the right way, um, you know, doing their jobs, calling out tendencies, just stuff like that. Just little things that could just help speed up the game for others around them. Um, they were just so good at, and not that the guys now aren't, it's just, they're younger, you know, obviously that comes with time and experience and, um, film work. And, you know, these, these are just young athletic, linebackers who i mean last game barrett and jeremiah oh man i mean unbelievable um them two looked you know like superstars in there they were fun to watch they've and they've really been the probably the heart of this defense this year and um no no you go ahead i'm sorry um no but i was i I just say that's probably the the biggest thing um you know i've noticed just, just defense is such um you just have to be so precise in what you're doing. It's like you said, you're two inches off or you're late to the gap. Or you're late recognizing something. Boom. Like, um, teams are starting to hit you for eight yards of pop a run. And when they can do that, it's going to be a long day. Another thing that's been kind of hard to sort out, <clears throat> you know, if, if we're trying to be fair in our evaluation of things is, you know, the defensive line, um, we spend all off season saying, okay, yeah, this is going to resemble the 18 line or the 14 line or Georgia's mm-hmm. defensive line last year. And wow, look at these, you know, really disruptive high-end guys like Miles Murphy, Tyler Davis, Brian Brzee. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, obviously, huh, some very extenuating circumstances this year with, with uh, uh, Ella's Ella Brzee's passing, and that's been mm-hmm. a you know, big setback for him in addition to him coming off of ACL surgery too. Um, yeah. But I'm curious for your take. So I'm, again, I'm trying to figure out the right way to evaluate it. And I don't know if it's like, do we say, uh, you know, I don't know if it's fair to compare any group to that 18 group, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, those dudes. And I've had players who were on that team and I'll see if you agree when those guys came back in 18, they were on a freaking mission. And mm-hmm. even in practices, they were just the type of personalities. Yeah. They were going to get in your head. If you're an offensive lineman, they're going to pick on you and they wanted to drink your blood. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. They wanted to, to just rub it in. And so I'm trying to get a good equilibrium, a fair, take on this line um you know are they is it just not their nature to be like that um they got a lot of talent but they probably don't have just that relentless ruthless edge that we saw out of that group that came back in 18 is that fair um i'll say that you know i haven't been around them as much this year so i I don't like to you know give a full-on opinion of them unless you know i've kind of been in the locker room with them um i'll say this about the 2018 team you're 100 percent right with those guys i mean that was 
when they came back, I mean, those dudes were hungry and I mean, you weren't really going to tell them anything that was going to stop them from being successful. Um, especially Christian and Cleland being kind of more outspoken guys, outspoken leaders on the team. And then we'll just physically line up and kick somebody's ass, um, week after week. I mean, they, that, that they are, um, like just the epitome of just tough, relentless, hungry. I mean, and then on top of extremely talented. And when you've got that combination, you know, you're going to be hard to stop. And then like AD and Dex, same thing. I mean, just grinders, work ethic, hungry. Um, you know, this, this, um, the D line I think we have this year is, I think is deeper. You know, I think we've got more talented dudes, um, you know, all around. I think it's, you know, unfortunate, like you said, um, and what a tragedy for, you know, the Brazil family and Brian and what they've had to go through. And, um, on top of, like you said, on top of his injuries, you know, unfortunately XT has, you know, these man hate it for him. has been battling all year with the foot and having to get surgery again. Um, I think those, you know, that law, that's a big loss for them. Um, cause I, I think he really, um, you know, it kind of resembles that toughness of that 2018 team or 2018 D line. Um, you know, as far as a man, KJ has been outstanding this year as well. Uh, I saw it just from the progress I think that he's made over his career and he's just done a, a heck of a job for himself um, this year in the way I've, I've seen him put in the work this off season when I was around and everything. Um, but, you know, like I say, it's just hard to, it's hard to say um, without being in the locker. It's hard to compare. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I've been with them before and whatnot, but every year's different. And um, you know, I've I've seen the the hunger and out of some of the guys. And um, but I I don't want to. I, I just don't want to compare the two. Sure. Uh, I guess without without been in that locker room this year. I know you pay attention to Alabama. You grew up an Alabama fan. Uh huh. It seems really interesting right now. What's going on with both? programs i guess interesting from a an objective level it's not interesting for clemson fans or alabama fans um but man just a few years ago i mean every year we heard complaints from people oh god this is so boring it's just it's clemson and alabama right and now there's some slippage Mm -hmm. and i guess i'm speaking primarily about alabama right now but maybe some about clemson too i'm just curious the 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 difficulty of retaining the edge yeah. in the wake of immense success has to be immensely difficult. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like you said, especially Alabama has been doing it, you know, since what, 2009 was their first national championship yep. or whatever. I mean, they have literally been the team to beat in college football ever since every year. I mean, the consistency from them is really unimaginable, especially at a college level with, you know, college kids, it's, it's just, it's tough. And, um, I mean, what they've done is really unbelievable. And that just goes to show the margin for error is so small. And, um, you know, I mean, what they've, I think Bama's lost, well, they lost two games, one to LSU by a point and one to Tennessee by what, two points, three points, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's, that's still a heck of a football team, but you know, it, it's just, it's, it's weird to see them be in the situation they've been in because they haven't done it, you know, and for, they, I can't tell you the last time they lost two regular season games, maybe that one year 
uh, 18 or 19, whatever, what is it? 19, I guess. Um, and then, you know, same thing from Clemson, you know, we've been so dominant, um, since 15 really, or 14. I remember that 14 team was, you know, outstanding as well. And, um, it's just, it's hard. It's hard to stay at the top of the mountain every year when everybody's got Clemson and Alabama circled on their schedules. I mean, every, that's what, that's what teams do in the off season. They, these coaches, when they're watching, I mean, what, when they're watching tape, they're breaking out. How do we beat Clemson this year? How do we beat Alabama this year? And when you're getting everybody's best shot all the time, it just, you know, requires that precision to be even, um, even better. And, uh, and it's just, it's a tough, uh, spot to be in, but you really don't want it any other way as those teams. That's what prepares you, uh, for the long run and for the postseason. And, you know, you're getting everybody's best shot, but, um, you know, it, it is, it's different this year. I think you've got, I think if any year for the, you know, they're proposing that 12 team playoff for any year of college football in the last 10 years, I think this would be the most fun year to have yeah. a 12 team playoff because of the, um, I just feel like the competition is, you know, a little more equal amongst all the teams. I think the only team that really stands out right now is Georgia. Yep. Um, they've, I mean, they've done their thing. They've been dominant the way they handled Tennessee uh, a few weeks ago. Um, but every other team, you know, I feel like it's uh, somewhat even. You know, I feel like it, it would be a fun year for that 12-year playoff. Well, a lot of, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Well, a lot of people were, I guess, for some reason, bored by two great teams facing off uh, <laughs> at the end of the year uh, for yeah. four straight years. I will always treasure it. Uh, and one of the reasons I will treasure it sure. is because of the Alabama-Clemson connections. Just so incredible to have a, you know, Dabo, of course, being an Alabama guy and so many mm-hmm. people on his staff being Alabama guys with you having grown up in Birmingham, having been an Alabama fan, having almost having been on your way to Alabama before uh, yeah. as, as a walk on before uh, Dabo offered you the scholarship. I think I um, was it was it the I think you did an interview with Darian Rencher uh, back near the draft yeah. and, and you were talking about your grandparents maybe just being so hardcore or no, actually this might have been a different interview. I'm sorry. I, yeah. I just want to dig into that some because that is just the pull of emotions and, 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 and loyalties and all that, like, it's just fascinating right. to me. Just be, just sort of putting myself in, in your shoes and your family's shoes and all that. How, can you just give us a sense of what that was like? Yeah. I mean, I'll say, you know, now everybody's transitioned. We're full on Clemson fans with no ties to anything else, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I grew up in Alabama fam. My dad played there, obviously. Um, so, you know, as my, my grandparents, as that being their only son, you know, they're hardcore Alabama people. They grew up in Alabama, so they've always been Alabama fans. And, um, you know, he's from Alabama and going to play uh, in Tuscaloosa, you know, that was kind of always his dream. And so, I mean, ever since then, I mean, we've been, we grew up Alabama fans, you know, we lived in Birmingham, 45 minutes away from Tuscaloosa. I'd go to all the games every weekend, you know, uh, just kind of the normal college football way of life and uh you know then coming out of high school you know coach Sweeney had offered me a spot to walk on at Clemson and Saban had you know done the same thing in Alabama and um I was like man I'm in state all my friends and going to Alabama you know I grew up wanting to go here I was like 
just seems like an easy choice for me, you know, until Coach Sweeney came and offered me a scholarship and then it was a no brainer. But, um, yeah, you know, I think we were always pretty loyal Bama fans and, but I mean, it's, it's a no brainer now, man. We're all, you know, all in at Clemson and, um, I'm, I wouldn't have wanted any other way now. I mean, looking back, it's one of the best decisions I've ever made, and you know, so fortunate to have been able to to come here. So the fifteen national championship, the first time they <laughs> played, that's before yeah. you got the offer. That is all right. So I want to put myself, take me to where you were. I guess you're with your family, maybe, and I guess yeah. are you all are you all pulling for Alabama? So I was a senior in high school. Um. I remember I was with a bunch of my friends from high school. We were all, you know, had like a little watch party or whatever at someone's house. And, um, man, like, I don't even, you know, obviously I, I, like I knew coach Sweeney at the time and always respected what he was doing at Clemson. And, you know, I like was always very invested in Clemson at the time, you know, what, and having no idea or whatever, you know, I'd, I'd come to camp a couple of times, like throughout high school. And so I, I knew some of the coaches and guys, you know, how, how they do the coach Sweeney camps. And, um, so I was a little invested in Clemson. Um, also growing up a big Bama fan. I think I was just kind of watching that game. I might've been full. I, I don't think I was unhappy that, uh, <laughs> that Bama won the game, but, um, I, I wouldn't say I was really pulling for Bama as hard. Um, I, cause you know, they had been so successful. I think I wanted to see, you know, I, I kind of wanted to see Clemson win that game, but, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think I was a, I wasn't rooting against Clemson is what I'm saying, but I don't think I was a big Clemson fan at the time. <laughs> was it more of you? I mean, I think the, I think the average college football fan at that time was pulling for Clemson just because they were the new kid, this refreshing right. story. Was that the perspective, sort of your that, mindset that you were coming yes, from? Yes. That's a much better way to say it than, than I did. What a game that was! I mean, really, Dabo. Oh, so Dabo still says that might have been that team might have been better than the sixteen team that won it. Man, yeah, that was a because that twenty fifteen Bama team was really good too. Those were that was a fun game. Um, yeah, that was a obviously I wasn't there that year, but that was a really talented Clemson team. And then the, I mean, it's just the detail things: the the cover kickoff uh, return for a touchdown by Kenyon Drake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then they the surprise pooch onside kick that they didn't cover. Uh, yeah. yeah, so I heard you tell Rencher on his podcast you sort of set the scene for when um, when Dabo and Marion Hobby came, uh, and, and you thought they were just coming to say hello because yeah. you were going to come to Clemson for an official the next week. Can you help uh, share share that story? Uh, for us yeah it was kind of one of the that's kind of how it all went down you know i was um like like we talked about earlier at the time i was kind of planning on walking on at bama um that was kind of the decision i made you know i've been on the phone with coach sweeney and he'd been in my ear and he's like well at least you know take an official here because i hadn't even been there all year i didn't i hadn't watched a game in the stands or anything been on any recruiting visits and he's like well at least come take an official here and you know kind of you know, see what it's like and, you know, envision yourself going to school here, you know, yada, yada, yada. And this already after the season. So I'm like, okay, yeah, of course, you know, so I'd, we had an official planned and, um, and I think they were on a, some recruiting trips. They were passing through Birmingham at the time and it was like, Hey, we're going to stop by Vestavia this week or, uh, today or whatever it was. Like, um, 
stop by your coach's office, come see you, whatever. And, uh, and so I, uh, you know, I think I was eating lunch or something at the time and I went and met with them and went and sat down in my coach's office. And I just kind of thought it was, you know, it was like the Thursday I was leaving like the next day for my official and, um, went and sat down with them too in the office and we're just kind of talking and, you know, I'm paying attention to what they have to say, whatnot. We're kind of just making conversation. And then like, all of a sudden, like I hear the sentence come out of his mouth that they want to offer me a scholarship to play at Clemson. And I'm like, did I just hear that? You know, I'm kind of like I'm thinking to myself, did I just hear that right? Like what? And I'm just kind of just shocked. You know, I just something I never saw coming. And, um, and I was like, yeah, I mean, it's my only scholarship. Like I'll commit right. Yeah, I'll come. Like, I mean, I didn't even know, I didn't, have, I didn't really have a recruiting process, you know, like it, it was just so foreign to me. I didn't even know how it all worked. And I was like, so happy to, <laughs> you know, have a scholarship from Clemson. And I don't think I had any idea how the, uh, you know, the media or the recruiting world to respond to this. I don't think I don't think I understood how, you know, weird it was for him to offer me a scholarship at the time. You know, I was just like, you know, a little eighteen year old happy to I'm like, damn, he just offered me a scholarship. Yeah, I'll go to Clemson. Like it was just so um unexpected, I guess. And then you had already basically made plans with friends who were also going to Alabama and you were already Yeah. You had to call them. <laughs> I was sitting in like lunch at our little, in our little senior patio, like, you know, some of my best friends, we were all planning to live together at Alabama. And, you know, I like <laughs> walked back in there and I'm like, dude, he just offered me a scholarship. <laughs> like I, I, I get, I'm going to Clemson now. And they're like, what? Like, now we got to find someone else to live with, <laughs> you know, but, um, yeah, it was just very, very unexpected. You're, your father, obviously, the story was documented in such a special way by by Marty Smith yeah. um, of ESPN, and they showed, uh, I guess, the the phone recording of of your father of Dabo telling your father that he was going to offer him. Yeah. When 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 that story is sort of in the public domain, whether it's on ESPN or whether you're being asked about it in the mm-hmm. media is it something where <clears throat> that, that that you're uncomfortable it, you don't really like that part of it or is it something where you take pride in the awareness uh of it being spread or is it maybe a mix of both um yeah i, I think you could say a mix of both um i mean obviously I never you know embarrassed by my dad's story or anything you know obviously just you know, what he went through was just, you know, so tragic. And, you know, I've always sort of respect the way that he responded to, you know, his adversity. Um, I think, you know, from an outside perspective, it obviously amplifies or at, at the time, you know, I don't, I don't care anymore, but when I was young, I was, I think a little more embarrassed by it because it amplified the story of, you know, he only offered me a scholarship because of their relationship and what he was going through. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I, I'd always, you know, kind of try to hide it in that aspect of it. But, um, and yeah, their, their relationship was, you know, really cool. And I thought it was, you know, really a special moment for him, um, you know, to kind of be able to hear that and know that, you know, he, um, he knew kind of where I would be throughout my college experience with someone that he trusts. And so I think that was a very, um, you know, I think powerful, um, part of it and moment for him. Your dad on that um, on that feature, they mentioned that your dad had um, 
been uh, an advocate uh, in the movement to sort of address mm-hmm. head trauma, um, yeah. but they didn't really give many details. I'm just curious, like what was, do you, do you are you aware of, of, of how that, of, of how involved he was and sort of what his message was? So he was, um, I could be saying this wrong. I'm pretty sure he was the lead plaintiff in the, the class action lawsuit of, um, you know, some of the NFL players, um, suing the NFL for, you know, all the, the CTE, the head trauma. And, um, you know, I think he was asked to be, to be a big part of that. And I think that, you know, I think the really, the reason he accepted it was, um, you know, for the guys that had gone through what they had gone through and, um, you know, first kids and, um, and, you know, obviously with the, the spot he was in with battling ALS and, um, you know, kind of the, the road that he had gone down with ALS, um, it was, a you know, it was, it was easy to make him, you know, the head guy because of, you know, all that he had been through, through the NFL and, um, you know, trying to, you know, help benefit others that, you know, come down the line. And, um, so I think, you know, I don't think he, he didn't want it to like, he didn't want it to come off as he, you know, hated the NFL and, sure. uh, you know, whatever, but it, it was just something that he knew that, um, he felt obligated to do because of where he was, um, at his stage of life and what he had been through, um, through the concussions and, um, how it affected his body in the long run. Given that backdrop and how it has profoundly affected you, how do you, as you play, uh, not just a violent game, but a violent position in a violent game yeah. that, that require uh, requires a lot of hard hitting and even uh, hitting, you know, with with, uh, with your head. How do you reconcile that? I just I just, uh, just curious, like, um, yeah, how, how how you process it. You know, yeah, I get asked that question a lot, um, or throughout my time at playing football and. Um, I think, you know, the biggest thing, his biggest goal from all of that was just to bring more awareness. You know, he'd always talk about back when he played and, you know, you get a concussion or you're all, you know, you're dizzy or don't know where you are and you count to four, you can go back in yeah. and play. And nobody just, nobody really treated concussions or head injuries like other injuries. And I think his biggest goal from, um, you know, from his experience was to just bring more awareness to head injuries and how serious they are and the recovery process that it really takes to, um, you know, to keep yourself out of harm's way, I guess. And, um, so, um, so yeah, I, I think, you know, that was probably, um, the biggest thing with that. And in that respect, I mean, the game you're playing now is safer, just given that there are so many more precautions and right. Yeah, you, like you see guys, you know, you see guys now, especially in the NFL, will you know have a concussion and you know take the protocol seriously, and um, you know they're because they're ultimately what worried about their well being. You know what? You know it's like they go through the proper protocols and come back at a timely manner, and um, you know to you know hopefully you know, keep yourself safe. If you're in the Eastern Midlands and PD area, and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home, 
commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to UptownRealtySC.com. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union. If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-3507. Everybody I talk to, uh, everybody I interview here um, who was a member of that 18 team, I asked the same question. Mm-hmm. Going into that national championship, did you really, were you really confident that you guys were going to boat race Alabama? Or what was, what was your <laughs> feeling there? Um, man, I guess like, you know, every game you practice, you know, your game plan all week. You know, you put together this plan. And, um, you know, you can, all you can do is your job. I mean, that's just kind of how it goes. And I thought we had a great plan defensively. And so, you know, you, you build confidence in that plan with how you prepare and, um, you know, th- throughout your preparation of practice. And, um, and man, I felt like we, you know, had done a really good job preparing all week that we had a good plan for them and, you know, had the tools to stop them. Um, and then, you know, that first half came along. And, you know, they kind of had driven the ball on us, you know, up and down the field a little bit. And we did a great job uh, in the red zone, obviously, you know, making them kick field goals. And that's, you know, how you beat good teams. But, um, you know, we can only do our job. And then on the flip side, the offense, I mean, they just freaking exploded. You know, I mean, there's just big play after big play. And um, next thing you know, you look up at halftime, we got a big lead. And then the second half just absolutely took over. But, man, I, I don't. I don't know if I would have said that we had a boat raced them like we did, but, um, man, I knew we had a good team and, you know, had the right tools and we were a confident bunch at the time. So, um, man, I, I, what a fun year that was. I want to say my recollection was that the defensive sort of thing I came up with based on studying Tua mm-hmm. would make him go to his second or third 
read, yep. sort of push him off his spot a little bit because nobody previously had been able to do that. Do you, right. do you recall that being one of the essential things? Yeah, they, uh, man, they had, <laughs> and I, I always talk about this. If you go back and look at that roster, go look where those Unbelievable. guys are. Unbelievable. Go look at that offense and where those guys are now. It's, I mean, I, there's no telling how many first round draft picks were in that group. They got three quarterbacks starting in the NFL, uh, <laughs> three running backs starting in the NFL. They had all four of those receivers were first round picks, probably more that are, were buried in the depth chart that I don't know about. Tight ends, NFL, O line first round. I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, but I remember them. I remember they liked to take the top off the defense, obviously with speed. I mean, they, they had guys that could fly and they were slinging the ball around. So we wanted to make sure we had a, you know, deep middle of the field safety at all times, try to keep everything in front of us. Um, and then, yeah, going back to Tua, um, I remember we really emphasized disguise and, um, you know, like you said, trying to take away that first read. We thought that, you know, he, we, we didn't think that anybody really made him um, read defense all year. You know, we thought that, you know, he was, you know, kind of told where to throw it and the receivers have made plays and they had kind of gotten in a rhythm of doing that. We thought if we could make him, um, you know, hold the ball a little bit, show him one thing and, you know, try and take away his first, first three that we would be in business with the, you know, the D line that we have with the pass rush. We thought we could confuse him in the back end, um, make him hold it a little longer that we could get to him and uh, cause a lot of disruption for that offense. And we ended up doing that in the second half, especially when we made them have to throw the ball after we got a good lead. I want to say both of those picks, Terrell and Mullen came when you're showing man, but dropped into zone, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm trying the first one, AJ's we were in like a, uh, like a cover two trap, um, coverage, you know, showing single high rolling over the top to cover two trap in number two. And they ran that out and he picked that ball. I mean, what a great play is really just how we drew it up. And, um, you know, that, that was, yeah, that we were showing man in that one. The second one, um, with uh Trayvon's we were he was probably showing man at the bottom showing like a press quarters we I think the secondary was showing quarters we are what we call like hot coverage and so we were bringing six and we dropped five so we have like two seam defenders reading the quarterback's eyes middle of the field safety's got to get out and take away the first threat and then the, the corners or press bailing and they've got to overlap the two receivers and he dropped with depth. And I think Tua thought, I don't really know what he thought we were in, but I think he thought he could, you know, uh, take the top off. I don't even think he saw Trayvon and press bailing like that. And I think he just, like you said, thought he was a man trying to beat him over the top and just let it go and, um, overthrew him a little bit and got a pick. But yeah, that was, that was, you know, two great plays in that game. Um, that you know, turnovers are the name, the name of the game. It's how you win games and steal possessions. So, oh man, that was fun. Nine out of ten people, when they think of that game, think Trevor Lawrence, Justin Ross, T. Higgins. Yeah. But <laughs> sixteen points you guys held those dudes to. I mean, that's got to be the most one of the most astounding statistics in the history of the national championship game, given the talent. Yeah. They had. Those 16 points were on the first half too, correct? Yeah. If I'm mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, 
I remember too. I mean, they were driving the ball on us. They converted a few fourth downs in the in the first half, and like, man, we're so good at getting off the field um, with Coach V's defense. Like, we're all year, you know, we just get off the field so quick, and we're so suffocating. And I remember them driving on us, and it's just like we're not really used to that, you know. But then we help we hold them to field goals, and I think they scored that one touchdown. Um, but yeah, man, our offense just complimented us so well with those. I was holding them to field goals, and then they were just, man, just dicing them up, taking shots. And those, you're rightfully so to say, to think of T and J. Ross and Trevor. I mean, they made some crazy plays that game. And without that, you know, we're, we're not winning that game. I don't know if any defense ever again in back-to-back years in a national championship will face offenses as talented as the 18 Alabama offense and the 19 19- LSU offense. What, um, I mean, I, I guess you, I mean, you're going to be marveling over that, just the sheer level of talent in those two games, probably for the rest of your life. Um, yeah. is, is that the, those two collections of talent, the, I mean, I guess they have to be the, the best that you faced in your time. Yeah. You know, I remember going through the draft process this year and, you know, you're meeting all these coaches and scouts and at that, playing the all-star game out in Vegas, the old shrine game, you have a lot of interviews and meetings. And, you know, one of the questions always being, who do you think is the, um, you know, the best player you faced or, you know, best player you faced in your career or this year or whatever. And I'm like, shoot, it's go back to that 18 Alabama team or 19 LSU team. You can pick just about anybody off those offenses. Um, man. Yeah. Those, those two teams um, really unbelievable. Um, especially when you go back and, you know, look at it now of where those guys have ended up. But, um, God, that LSU team was so good um, offensively. Um, those, those receivers and Joe Burrow, uh, and they had a great scheme fitting their personnel. And they, I mean, they destroyed people all year. It seemed like what we were just talking about with maybe Tua's weakness, not having gone past his first Mm-hmm. Reed, that was Burrow's strength. Like he, he was yeah. right at home, improvising and and using his feet to move around, and then just firing lasers into tight windows, thirty, forty yards downfield. Yeah, they they made it tough for us um, or for everybody. But you know, they were a big. Just the one thing I remember about them, they were just such a big, empty team, and it's something that a lot of offenses hadn't really done yet. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they would get in so many different variations of empty or and a lot of tight bunches and then motion guys out, getting to empty, just different stuff like that, trying to create a lot of one-on-one matchups. And, you know, doing that, being an empty and being good at it, it kind of forces a lot of teams to play man because you don't want them to just nickel and dime you all the way down the field. And then when you're playing man against them, sure, good luck. You know, you got – Got to cover Jefferson. You got to cover Jamar. You had Terrence Marshall. Their tight end was good. Um, so it was, it, it created a lot of, um, you know, opportunities for them to make plays. And Burrow just knew where his guys were. And I mean, God, like I remember, you know, obviously AJ getting a bunch of criticism after that game. And I'm like, come on, like that dude just putting one on one coverage against shoot, which was one of now one of the best NFL receivers all game. And, good quarterback, good receiver. They're going to make a couple plays. And unfortunately it, you know, it happened like it did, but, um, God, they, they, they put guys in a lot of conflict. I hate to bring this up, 
You had uh-huh. a, you had a pick six in your hands. <laughs> I know exactly what you're about to say. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> man. That play haunted oh. me. I'm, I, like I'm not even lying. That, I like I couldn't even sleep like the next like week. Um, God, yeah. That, I I remember after that game, losing that game. I remember just like I can't tell you how many footballs I caught after that. Mm. I, I, I vowed to never drop an interception again. I mean, it was. Like it, 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 that, that one haunts me. Uh, it really does. What was the uh, score at the time? Yeah. Uh, y'all were up. I think it was 23, 26 or. Oh, it was that I, point. Okay. I thought it was earlier when y'all were up 17, seven, maybe not. I don't, I could be wrong. I don't think so. I, I think we were down or we were, or we were up. Like two, I don't know. I'm certainly it not was, trying. To, it was close at the time, and if I, I think it was 23-26, and if I caught it, we'd have come back, and if and they end up scoring or something, and then they like had a bigger lead. I'm gonna have to go check it. I, I, I choose, you know, not to yeah. go back with that. So I'm I, certainly not trying to rub it in. <laughs> I just remember yeah. saying, "Wow, had that had had he taken that back, that might have been it for LSU." I, I just in the moment, yeah. but you might be right. You um, might be right. Um, Man, yeah, I remember one day. <laughs> God, not I, I'm not a huge social media guy. Like I, I, I usually delete Twitter during the season because I hate good for reading you. the good, the good or the bad. Yep, um, it's all poison yep. to me. <laughs> to <laughs> but, me too. Um, uh, I remember one day. Usually in the off season, I'll get it back. So I like to keep up with you know guys and whatnot. And, um, I was just rolling through Twitter one day, and man, that popped up on my feed. And when I tell you that ruined my week, <laughs> it was like years later. It was like a couple years later. This might have been like last year. And I'm like just rolling through it. And I, and I saw someone like, man, if Dolan Turner caught this pick, like oh, this would change the game. I'm like, damn, like that's mm. a bad memory right there. Um, but yeah, that one, that one haunts me. Last question. Um, we'll go back to Dabo. What a cool relationship that it seems like just on the surface when you're hanging out with him on Tuesday and he's like, come on, no, no, come on. You, you yeah, uh, yeah. Like, you're coming with me. Um, yeah, he told your dad he was going to be a father figure to you. Can you just share what that relationship has been like, you know, was like during your career and is like uh, moving mm-hmm. forward? Yeah. Um, you know, like you said, I think he's, he's such a good mentor. Um, he just has so much wisdom from different things he's been through in his life different life experiences from kind of being the lowest to low, the highest to highs. And, um, I think you can just take so much from, you know, some of his experiences and he just does such a great job with, you know, not just me, but all of his players. Um, that's just kind of the, the figure he is for, for really everyone, um, you know, that plays for him. And, uh, but it's been so cool, um, you know, kind of for our relationship to grow and to be where it is now. Um, uh, yeah, like it's, I've just, I've learned so much from him of, you know, how to handle adversity, how to handle success and, um, you know, never let your highs be too high and your lows be too low. And, um, just a million different sayings that, <laughs> that he has just kind of stick with you. And, you know, I saw that video of, uh, it must, I think it was our D line that did a podcast with someone the other day or something. And they were, you know, joking about all the, what they call Sweeneyisms and, you know, the little lines that he says all the time. And uh, it made me laugh, but, um, yeah, it's just, it's just very, Clemson is just so, um, it's just so much like home now with, 
um, you know, the relationships I have with, you know, him and just all of our staff and coaches. And I think that's what I miss most. Um, you know, now that I didn't even realize that I would miss, it's just those, you know, day-to-day interactions, those relationships, especially when you're in a place for six years and, you know, you're with each other, like freaking every day of the year, it seems like, um, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to, you know, move on from that and start doing other things and being with other people. Um, but, um, but man, yeah, I love like this week is so much fun for me. Like Tuesday I went and got to sit, sit down in the defensive room, sit down with coach Sweeney and went and watched practice. I got nothing going on. So I'm like, <laughs> just like hanging, hanging around the building. Like I'm still, still there. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's going to be, I can't wait to watch the game this weekend. It'll be the first time I've ever sat in the stands at a Clemson game. Um, so I'm super excited for that. And, uh, but yeah, it's been a, been a special relationship and, um, definitely a special week to be back and see everybody. You going to sit with your mom? I'm actually not. So my, my mom and I think one of uh, her friends and one of my brother's high school friends are coming up and they're, they're using his tickets sitting in the family section. And I've got a, uh, a buddy who has some season tickets who uh, had a couple extra spots. So me and Skowski, Skowski's coming back this weekend and a couple other guys are all going to get sit together and have a little fun out there tailgating. And, nice. Uh, and, you know, making our rounds around Clemson and ultimately watching the game together. So I can't wait. Will this be your first tailgating experience? It will. Wow. It will. First one ever. Wow. High school, I guess, at Alabama. That's different. <laughs> it's going to be the first first tailgating experience here at Clemson, so I'm fired up. Are y'all going to be those guys to show up at 630? Or are you going to just sort of stroll in when you feel like it? I think we've got a uh, we've got a little ride over to Clemson at ten o'clock. So we're going to hit the hit the town at whatever. I guess probably ten thirty. Whenever we get there, we'll be in Greenville the night before and hit Clemson around ten forty five and tailgate up into the game and go in and uh, and and watch the boys play. So it's going to be fun. All right, I gotta ask. Uh huh. There's of course there's always that random fan with an earshot that's like. Come on, Streeter, my wife could call that. Or come on, Wes, you ain't you don't know what you're doing. Will that yeah. make you mad or will you just laugh? I'll I'll probably laugh because I think it's funny. <laughs> um, unless they just really piss me off. But no, I I think it's funny. Uh, you know, it's uh it's it's part of it. It's what makes college football fun. Um, it's what keeps people so passionate. So you gotta appreciate it. All right, I lied. That wasn't the last question I asked you about Dabo. <laughs> You're what? good. I got all day. Okay. <laughs> well, I figured you I'm might need to get a figured you might need to get a nap in, but yeah, I don't want That's to interrupt right. that. Uh, <laughs> what's the maddest Dabo was ever at you that you can recall? At me? Um, dang, let me think. Uh, guys, man, there's one. <laughs> there was one semester. This is this isn't even football. There was one semester, uh, man, my grades were bad, <laughs> and uh, it was like it was like the first semester I'd had of being in my. I was a finance major. I was um, the first semester I actually had like finance classes. I was loaded down with them. I had like an eight a.m. every morning. It's the first year I'm actually playing on defense. Uh, and I was just like swamped. With, I mean, my grades were like awful. And he freaking ripped me like in front of the team. Uh, I mean, it, they were down there, you know, it was, it wasn't good. And, you know, fortunately I bounced back after that, uh, but, uh, 
he uh, yeah, he ripped me. Yeah, he because he goes he'll go over grades and everything in front of everybody. And uh, you know, he he that's how he holds people accountable. And um, you know, it's you know what I looking back on it, you know, I appreciate it from him. But uh, yeah, I got ripped in front of the team for having awful grades. You know, supposed to be a smart guy. And, <laughs> doing horrible in school you know uh, so that, that wasn't gonna fly um that that was probably the, the maddest you ever been at me um you know coach v on the other hand there's probably some different moments but sweeney i'd say probably then can i uh share with you what ben bulware told me um i guess a few months uh, ago absolutely um so i don't know if you know this story and I'm going to keep going since you said you had all day. I'm not going to go all day, but I'll go a little longer if that's cool. Um, yeah. I don't know if you, I don't know if you know the story, but in 14, which was Boulware's, I guess, sophomore year. Yeah, yeah, that he sounds right. He thought he should have been starting, um, <laughs> and he was pissed off because he wasn't starting. And he went up to V in practice and said, I, "I'm, I'm quitting." Ben, Ben was like crying, like he had just, he had made the decision. He had tears going down his face. And then Brent says, Brent starts laughing and says, no, you're not. <laughs> and then, and that fast forward a couple of years and, or even to now. And Ben says he's the most, he was the most important figure in his football life, really. Yeah. But, uh, wow. the most vivid thing that Ben shares is, is he said, the, he says, I, I'm not scared of any, he's, I've, I've never been scared of anything. He said, but what terrified, what has terrified me more than anything else was, is when, when Venables is mad and you see the white foam in the corner, in the corners of his mouth. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Terrifying. Similar for you. I'll say the same thing. Yeah. I'm not scared of too many people or too many things, but that man scared me, coach V and, uh, man, I love him. I I love him for it, but he was just one of the most intense, passionate people about what he did and what he put on film. Um, and I mean, I was horrified to let that guy down. I mean, it, like, I'm, yeah, it, 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 he's a scary dude. Um, I love him. We got a great relationship now. I remember being younger, you know, kind of like you were saying about Ben out there, like freaking scared to death to make a mistake out in the field. Um, and I, it probably hindered me a little bit early, but you know, once you get older and you, you know, you get more comfortable with him and, uh, and you know your relationship you know you can you can give it back to him a little bit more um which was funny you know i remember ben i remember him and ben go used to go at it you know on the field kind of him and skowski would do the same you know that those were kind of you know his like quarterbacks of the defense and kind of listen to them chirp each other and go back and forth and piss each other off probably was you know probably some of the you know best moments when when you have a guy in west who is his demeanor is just different. It's, it's more, mm-hmm. it's, it's not as in, nearly as intense as Brent's. I don't know that anybody's yeah. is honestly, is it fair? I'm not asking you to give an opinion here necessarily, but is yeah. it fair to wonder whether attention to detail on the field can, can be diminished when you don't have that fear of God, uh, in you, uh, <laughs> in, in, in Venables, is that fair to, to wonder about? Um, yeah, I think, but I think there's benefits from it too. I think some, it could help some younger guys confidences. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, I think some guys might not be as scared to make a mistake, might play more freely. Um, not saying they don't for V or whatever, but just saying, you know, without that, you know, maybe some of that pressure, um, you know, maybe they feel like they can be more, 
more free, more confident, less afraid to make a mistake. Uh, but it also requires more leadership um, from the players, um, just from a demanding standpoint. You always want to have that, you know, demanding voice in the room. And I mean, you're shit, it's college football. You know, if you're out there making mistakes, you know, you're not going to play. And um, you know, you got to do your job. So there's there's that motivation behind it. But at the end of the day, the the best your best players have to be your best leaders. And, um, you know, if you don't have that, you're not going to be very successful. And, um, that's with any team, you know, no matter how mad or, you know, angry coach V gets, um, you know, he can't be the, the biggest voice and the, and the biggest leader on the defense. It's got to come from within. And that's, you see that at every level with every team. Um, and if you don't have that, you're not going to be very successful. So, um, that's, that's, that's one thing I will add to that. Wes told me earlier this year, something really interesting. He said, I asked him what he had learned about himself as he's sort of, you know, going through this for the first time. And he says, he's learning how to be demanding without being demeaning. So mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting the way he put it. So that's good. I like that. Yeah. I've kind of seen him come into his own a little bit too this year. I'm, you know, I met with him in con the other day when I was back, just kind of talking ball a little bit and asking how things have been going. And, you know, you can tell he's, he's kind of grown into, you know, his own a little bit being the, you know, the voice of that defense. The maddest you ever saw Dabo period. Uh, <laughs> this is, hey, this is a great story actually. <laughs> um, so, uh, 2017, we got beat by Syracuse. I'm sure you remember that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, man, me and Tanner joke about this to the day. Uh, so Tanner has that, like, fumble recovery for a touchdown. Like, I don't know, ran, ran it, like, 60 yards back, 7 yards back, whatever. And, oh, you know, God. his celebration when he scored was, you know, <laughs> He had the football, I think it was a beer can, popped the top to the beer, like chugged the beer. Oh, my and he God. Pro- he probably wouldn't have gotten flagged for it. And he tried to, like, like wipe his mouth like he just chugged the beer at the end. The refs thought his throat slashed. And so they flag him. Oh. And, I mean, you know, that, like, Sweeney, like, there's nothing that pisses him off more than, like, a, a some sort of personal foul or some dumb penalty that puts us at a disadvantage field position-wise. <laughs> it was already a close game. I mean, you know, we're getting beat, whatever. So Tanner does that, gets flagged for it. <laughs> I, I mean, I've never played a snap of defense. You know, this is my freshman year. He pulls Tanner and throws me in the game. I'm like nervous as all get out. You know, I've like never played a game snap in my life. Pulls Tanner, throws me in, and like, I mean, I'm scared to death out there. <laughs> After, so we fast forward, whatever. We we Tanner didn't play another snap, I don't think, all game, which, you know. that's an expensive that's an expensive beer it was an expensive beer and um after that we're in the locker room and i mean you (laughs) you wouldn't (laughs) believe the side of coach sweeney you saw ripping tanner (laughs) in the locker room oh my like you know warranted or not he just got absolutely uh destroyed in the locker room uh (laughs) after that that penalty and uh, man, I felt for him. And I've, I've told Tanner, you know, to this day, you know, the first, I still haven't scored a touchdown. Uh, I haven't had a pick six or fumble recovery for a touchdown. If I ever score a touchdown, you know, in the NFL, <laughs> that is my penalty. That's going to be my, oh. my celebration. And, um, you know, that was going to be for him. So I'm, I'm still waiting on that. Well, they won't flag you for it in the NFL. Exactly. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. That is, I can't, I am praying for a pick six for you right now. <laughs> Absolutely. I can't wait. That's going to be, I've been thinking about it ever since. It's going to be my celebration. Now, normally Dabo, he keeps it clean. Like he says, are you kidding me? Or that's terrible. Yeah. But I swear, I'm not a great lip reader, but there have been times this season when he's been really pissed. I've seen some F-bombs, dang it. I think I really have. I I think he keeps a limit um, (laughs) on his uses of F-bombs that he's allowed to give per year. And um, I'm sure he's used that limit this year as he did in uh, 2017 after that Syracuse loss. Well, Nolan. Too many out of him, but they, they come. This has been great, man. I, one of my regrets of, of, of this business is, is when players are actually playing. I don't really get to know them that well because, you know, because you're just doing the day-to-day stuff and you're getting what you need and it's kind of this controlled environment. But I really i have right. gotten to know a, a large number of players after. And so this has been a pleasure. It really has been um, just sort of telling your story. And uh, uh, hope, hopefully we can keep in touch. I really appreciate you sharing so much of your time with us. I absolutely. I appreciate you having me on. It's been a, it's been a blast. It's been fun, you know, looking back and talking about some of those, uh, some of those teams, some of those experiences. Y'all have a wonderful Thanksgiving. All right. Now you too, Larry. I appreciate it, man. Good dude. Really great conversation there. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Always heard nothing but good things about Nolan <clears throat> over the years and really glad to uh, experience it firsthand uh, in a, Awesome chat. I really appreciate him sharing his time uh, during his open date. Also appreciate, of course, our uh, sponsors for their very loyal support. And then most of all, thanks to every one of you for hitting that play button. Really appreciate it. Cheers.